My name is Geneve. I'm one of the leaders here at The Rock. And if I don't know you yet, I'd love to meet you after service. Scott, my husband, and I would love to meet you and greet you, get to know you a little bit. Um, But hey, over the last few weeks, we've been in the series called Be Sure You're Saved. And it was really eye-opening. I don't know about you, but I was sitting there in my seat like, I didn't know some of this stuff. Like, this is good to know, right? It's good to know about things about your salvation, isn't it? Amen. Amen. It's good to know. And so if you've missed that, we talked about uh, how we are saved through grace, that grace is a free gift. Your salvation is a free gift. You cannot earn it. There's nothing that you can do to get yourself into the kingdom of God. But then we also talked about how there needs to be evidence in your life. From the inside out, there needs to be a working of that salvation. And so that was so good to me. So if you've missed that, you can turn that, uh, turn to the podcast or through our rock app, you can listen to that. Make sure you tune in. Um, I know I need to listen to it again and just get into my heart. Yeah, that's right. This is about, this is about my salvation. So it's important as believers to know what does that all entail? Amen. We're going to jump right into this. So we're going to move from that series into this new series. This new series is called uh, God Wants Your Family to be Saved. God wants your family to be saved. I'm going to tell you, I was so excited about this because I've been kind of meditating on this all week. Because I don't know about you, but I have family that's not saved yet. And so as I was thinking through this, I was like, yes, this is is God's truth and God's heart for families. And so I'm going to take that. I'm going to believe that for my family. And so if, you, if that's you today, open your ears. Allow the Lord to speak to you about your family this morning. We're going to jump right in. We're going to start at 1 Timothy 2.4. It says, God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men. You know, God doesn't want one person to perish. God doesn't want one person out of his kingdom. He wants everybody he wants every single one. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. Peter here is talking about, um, he's writing to some people who kind of have this thought in their mind, like, when's Jesus coming back? He's not back yet. He said he was coming back, but he's not back yet. What's taking him so long? Why is he waiting? And Peter is saying, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise that he's coming back, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Do you know that God suffers because he wants to be with you? You know that God is looking down from heaven, and he's looking at you and saying, he longs for you to be with you, and so he's saying, is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every moment that God waits is an opportunity for one more person. Every moment that God waits to come back, to bring his people back to him, is one more person that gets to go to heaven. And so God's saying, I am suffering long, but I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody That's why it's so important for us when God says to go into all the world and preach the gospel because God wants every single person. How many of you guys have heard that saying, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen? Oh, come on. More people than that have heard that saying. Come on, people. How many of you guys have heard, if it's God's will, it'll happen? Yes, I know. I've heard it so many times. 
But did you know that that's not true? You know that there are different wills of God. So there is a providential will of God. And the providential will of God means that whatever God wants to do, it's going to happen no matter what you say. Like Jesus is coming back, right? Like no matter how much you pray about that, Jesus is coming back one day. That is the providential will of God. So that's the part where it says, if that's God's will, it'll happen. Yes, when it's his providential will. But did you know that there's also a moral will of God? God's moral will is very clearly laid out in the Bible. And it's every time you see the word says, do not steal, do not kill, honor your parents, love your neighbor, love the Lord your God, be in the word day and night. Did you know that those are all wills of God? That's the will of God, how he wants you to live your life. It's clearly that, but I don't know about you, but I, um, I have totally not honored my parents at times. <laughs> right? When I was younger, I used to lie. I'm just being honest with you, right? I don't love my neighbor very well at times. And so does that mean that that God's will always happens? No. His moral will for our life doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. And then there's the personal will of God for your life. You know that no matter how much you search the scriptures, there is nothing in there that's going to say, Pam, this is the name of your future children. Or, or there's nowhere in the Bible that says, Sandra, this is the person that you're supposed to marry. There's nowhere in the Bible that's going to tell you, take this job, leave that one, put your kids in this school, public or private right? Or homeschool. Those are called the personal will of God for your life. And Andy Stanley once said this, that the more you understand the providential will of God, and the more that you live by the moral will of God, the more that you will know God's personal will for your life. Isn't that good? I think that's so accurate. And the reason I'm talking about that right now, about God's will, is because sometimes when we think about, well, God wants all men to be saved. But do all men get saved? No. And so did you know that because of that, there is a part that we play when it comes to the salvation of other people? When God says that he wants all men to be saved, but he wants to use us to save those men. There is a part that we play, so we cannot sit on the sidelines and say, well, if it's God's will, if it's God's will, my sister will get saved. He's going to send somebody. If it's God's will, my neighbor's going to know Jesus because someone's going to talk to him about it. It'll happen. You know, we have this very crucial part to play when God uses imperfect people to go and follow his plan. And so be open to that today as we're talking about families. Families. God loves families. God created families. From the very beginning, God set us up in families. You know, in the beginning in Genesis, when, when we first talk about creation, God set us up. The structure of how we're supposed to live life 
woods and families. When he first created Adam, he said, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. So let me create you a helpmate. Right? Isn't that the start of a family? He said, it's not good for you to be alone. Let me create for you a helpmate. There's the beginning of a family. And then when he created her, he blessed them. And what's the first thing he tells them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Now that you have a family, expand your family, right? God loves families. From the very beginning, that was his purpose, that he wants us to be together in families. He created us like that. And then after a while, sin entered the world. I hate that part. How many of you guys read Genesis? You're like, why? Every time I read that, every year, sin entered the world and death through sin. And it got so bad. It got so bad that there's a part in Genesis, Genesis 6, 5. It says this, that then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. The Bible doesn't exaggerate. It got so wicked and so evil that every intent of a man's heart was only evil continually. And God, he said that he looked into all the world and he grieved. God grieved. He grieved for the sin and the death in the world, but he also grieved because it broke that relationship, right? It broke the closeness that we're, uh, we're supposed to have with him. He grieved. And you know, in that very moment, God could have been like, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'll just forget it. But God's so good because in the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, he put a plan in place. He promised that he would reunite us to him. And he didn't give up on that. And so he found one, one guy. His name was Noah. One man. God said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It said that Noah walked with the Lord, that Noah was perfect in his generation, and that Noah walked uprightly. And so when God found Noah, God said to him, build an ark, because through you, I'm going to do this thing. Through you, my plan's going to unravel, right? And so he said, build the ark. And then how many animals of each species did he say to take on the ark? Two, for the most part, two. One of each, right? But then God told Noah, hey, at the end of this thing, we're going to sacrifice some animals. So bring a little extra of this and that because the whole purpose of saving these animals is so that we can repopulate the earth. And if you sacrifice the two that you bring on, it kind of defeats the purpose, right? So two of each and then a little extra. But I love this about God because when God gave the directions to Noah about how to build the ark, who to bring on the ark, he said this to Noah. He said, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. There was only two people that was necessary to repopulate the earth. Noah and his wife. But see, Noah didn't even ask. That's what I love. Noah didn't ask, well, what about my family? God didn't say, Noah, bring two of each animal and you and your wife will be saved. And Noah said, 
But what about my family? That didn't happen. When God told them to build the ark to save the world, he said, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives. Because God's heart is for families. God's heart is that none in your family will perish. God's heart is that families will stick together. And so we see the heart of God in this, and I love that. I love that. And I bet that if Noah had some grandkids, those grandbabies would have been on the ark too, right? In Exodus, we see the story, a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. In Exodus 12, 21, it says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. One lamb will save a family. One lamb for every family. One lamb was needed. You know that when they killed the lamb, they didn't paste the blood on everyone's forehead. They put it on the doorpost so that every household would be saved by that one lamb. And it's a foreshadowing of Jesus because Jesus is our New Testament lamb. And you know that Jesus didn't come to just save you as an individual, but he came Every lamb, right? Jesus as our lamb came to save your entire household. Every household shall be saved. Some of you guys might think, well, I don't know who my family is. I don't have a family. I don't, I don't know my family well. And I love this part of the story in Exodus. In verse 4 it says, And if the household is too small for the lamb... Let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. If you're looking around and you said, I don't know who my family is, look around again. Who can be part of your family? Who can be part of your family? Is it your neighbor? Is it your coworker? Who can be part of your household? Right? No one is excluded. You know, God created us to live together as households, as family units. And so you might think, well, I don't know. Well, maybe it's your mom and dad. Maybe it's your aunt and uncle. Maybe it's your brother and sister. But maybe it's your neighbor. If you have room in your house, look around. Is somebody in solitude? Is someone by themselves? Make room. Make room. I love in Psalms, it talks about how God places the solitary in families, right? He sets the solitary in families because God has a heart for us to dwell together, for us to dwell together as families, as units, as households. That's how we're supposed to live life. God designed families from the very beginning, and God wants to use us as families, not just as individuals, but as families. There's a story of Paul and Silas when they were in jail. They were preaching the gospel, and they got caught, and they got thrown in jail and beaten and shackled. And, and around midnight, they were praying and singing hymns. And, and many of us know this story, and I always laugh at that part that, yes, here are a couple of disciples. They're bloody. It seems like a pretty dire situation, and they're praying and singing hymns. But this is what caught me because sometimes I think that we look at these stories and we think, um, well, they must be doing because, oh, it's in the Bible. 
pray continually, sing hymns to one another, right? And so that's what, my, that's what Paul and Silas must be doing, praying, dear God, singing hymns. And I would like to say that I beg to differ because I think when I'm reading the story, they were so fired up to be part of the ministry of Jesus that around midnight, I don't think that they were crying like, Lord, help us, right? I think that they were praying for all the people around them. Because when the earthquake came, it wasn't just their shackles. It wasn't just their doors. It was everybody's shackles, and it was everybody's doors that got open, right? For Paul and Silas, they are so excited to be in the ministry of Jesus. When they're praying and singing hymns, it's an overflow of the joy and the honor and the privilege of being in God's ministry. And wherever they go, that's what they exude, right? So even in the prison cell, when they're praying and singing hymns, that's, that's the place it was coming from. It was coming from a place of joy and not of despair. They're praying and singing hymns with joy. Man, nothing can bring them down. Even if they're suffering like their Lord Jesus, right? So at midnight, when the earthquake came and all the doors opened, the, the guard woke up. There was an earthquake. The guard woke up and he saw all the doors were open. And he freaked out. And he's like, this is the end of me. I just failed at my job. And so he takes his sword and he was about to fall on it and kill himself. And Paul calls out, don't do it. We're still here. And this is what's so incredible. Something happens in the heart of this guard. And he runs to Paul and Silas. He falls at their feet and he asks them, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? What's interesting is he is watching these disciples get beaten, shackled, and thrown into jail. And he said, I want to be a part of that. What must I do to be a part of that? What must I do to be saved? And this is what Paul and Silas tell him. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. You and your household. Because that's God's heart. That it's not just you. It's for your entire family. And when this guard heard it, you can imagine when he falls at the feet of Paul and Silas and say, what must I do to be saved? And they tell him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can imagine him thinking, that's right, and my household. And my household, yes, me, I, I want to be saved, but also my household. And you can see that because in the next verse, it says this. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. You know, immediately after Paul and Silas told him, uh, believe unto the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. The guy said, you have to come to my house. It's like one in the morning. My wife's not going to be happy, but they got to hear this, right? Can you imagine being the wife? Getting woken up at midnight 
and your husband just brought home two convicts, bloodied, right? All the kids are getting out of bed. What's happening right now? What, Dad, who are these people? And his dad, their dad are just overwhelmed. You have to hear this. You have to hear this. Something so changed in this man that he said, I don't care what hour of the day it is. You need to hear this. And they were all baptized, and his whole household got saved. Praise God. I, I've heard of stories like this that happen in families where somebody, one person in the family gets saved, they get so fired up for the Lord, they go home, they preach the gospel to their family, and everybody's like, yes! At the feet of Jesus, giving their life to the Lord. Beautiful stories. And then I also know stories that don't happen like that. (laughs) Stories where you go, and it doesn't matter how many times you have shared the gospel with your family or your friends, they're like, I don't want anything to do with it. And sometimes we can read stories like this in the Bible, and we can get discouraged. Well, that doesn't happen for me, right? But you know, the Bible isn't written for you to be discouraged. The Bible is written for you to build your faith. And when I read this, because my family is not saved yet, they're working on their testimony. And when I read this story, I don't get discouraged. I look at this and say, that's not my family yet, but it will be. That's not my family yet, but it will be me and my household, right? When you look at the word of God and you say, that's truth. I don't know what it looks like out here. I don't know what kind of nasty messages they might have just left me. I don't know what kind of look they just gave me. Like, I don't want to hear any more of what you're saying, but I know the word of God and that's got to be truth. That's got to trump every other thing that happens in our family. So when I read the Bible and it's not yet happen for me, it builds my faith because I know it's going to be like that. It's going to be like that. It's not discouraging. It's not discouraging. Don't allow the enemy to come and lie to you and say, well, it's not happening for you. God's got forgotten you. That is not true. That's not true. As believers, we are always ones to hold on to hope, right? The hope of Jesus, the hope of Jesus because his word is true. And so if it hasn't happened for you yet, You can put a big old smile on your face and say, well, it's coming. It's coming. In Genesis, God is talking about Abraham. And he said, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. See, it wasn't just about Abraham. God said that I have known him in order that he may command his children and the household after him. See, God doesn't just look at you He loves you. He loves us individually, right? But when he looks at you, he's thinking about everybody you're connected with. God's saying, I have known Abraham so that he may command his children and the households after him. I love Abraham with all my heart, but not just him, his household too. And that's how God feels about your home and your family. When we receive the gospel and we give our lives to Jesus, 
you know, we have this responsibility. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is such a long scripture with a lot of big words. Right? Sometimes we can read through that and we're like, well, great. I don't even know what that means. I'm going to read this again because this is really important. Reconciliation just means that we get restored. We get redeemed. When sin entered the world, it broke our relationship with God. But reconciliation means when Jesus came on the earth and he died on our behalf and took our sins, he reconciled us back to God. That means he restored our relationship back to God so that we could have a personal relationship with him. And so I'm going to read this again. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that you have been given the ministry of restoring people back to God? That freely you receive this gift, freely now you give to others the ministry of restoring people back to God. That is, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So when Christ died, God was working through him to redeem the world back to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them, meaning not looking at you and condemning you for your sin any longer because Jesus Christ took them from us and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Did you know that now, when we receive that free gift, we are now ambassadors, we are now representatives for God, as though God were pleading through you. You know that every moment we talk to somebody, every step that we take, every place that we end up at, we represent God. Everything that we do, you represent God. Did you know that there are good representatives and bad representatives? That sometimes you can look at somebody and be like, that is something they would never say, right? That is not something that that company would ever stand for. Whatever you do, whatever you say, you are now an ambassador for Christ. As though, and I love this, as though God were pleading through us. You know that every time you talk to somebody, it should be as though God is pleading through us to that person to go back to the Lord. God yearns to be with his people. God yearns to be with that one person who's not saved yet. And so living life as though God himself were pleading through us we're ambassadors for God. And the first people that we're responsible to reconcile is our own families. 
Not saying that you can't go and preach to other people or share the good news with your coworkers or your neighbors. But I love the scripture, Matthew 5, 13 to 15. I always go back to this. When I pray for my family, this is the scripture. This is my scripture. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you know that by your good works, people around you can glorify our Father in heaven? By your good works? I go back to the scripture all the time because I think to myself, Lord, help me. Help me be the salt. Help me be the light that is put on a lampstand for my household so that all in my house, within my household, within my family can see. For them to witness the goodness of God. God, help me by my good works for them to glorify you in heaven. Did you know that that was possible? That through your good works, Men can glorify God in heaven. I go back to the scripture because sometimes we, we think about heaven. And we think, God, I just want my family to be saved. I just want, I just want my family to know you and to live this life right. But I think about heaven and I think, what would heaven be like without my family? I can't even bear to imagine heaven without my family. And so I pray and I look at these scriptures and I, th- I say, thank God. Thank God because God's heart is for your family. That God wants your family as much as you do. That his heart is to be with your mom or dad, your brother or sister, your sons and daughters. I don't want to get to heaven and not see them. I don't want them to miss out. Second Timothy 1.5 says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Generations of faith. Generations of faith. I've already told you, my family, they don't know the Lord yet. And I always say yet, like, because they're working on their testimony, right? Because it's all part of their story, that one day when they do know the Lord Jesus, they're going to look back and be like, yeah, For years, I rejected him. But now, so they're working on their testimony. And when I first got saved, I was so on fire for God. I was so on fire. I mean, I was telling everybody about Jesus. I was telling my mom, mom, you worship false idols. I know. 
I was like, brother, sister, you guys need to get your life right. See, I needed to work on the love part. <laughs> I really erred more on the truth part. And it went like that for a long time. I remember one time I wrote my grandmother a really, really long Chinese letter. She lives in Taiwan. And I wrote her a really long letter, um, but I only have, like, the literacy of a second grader. And so you can imagine how long this letter took me, uh, translating back and forth salvation, (laughs) baptism, reconciliation, (laughs) you know, all those big fancy words. I, I was just learning myself. But I was so on fire. And, um... And I still, I still am about my family. I pray for them every day. Every day. I go to the scriptures and it builds up my faith. But I remember when I first became an intern, um, I had this really vivid dream. And um, I have vivid dreams all the time. You know, a lot of times you wake up and you're like, that was crazy. That was the craziest dream I've ever had. Um, And then you let it go. But then there are certain dreams, and I don't know if you've ever had this, but there are certain dreams you wake up and you're like, that was vivid, and there was something about that dream. And you have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, was there something that I needed to take away from that dream? And I remember I had this dream, and I was in my parents' house, and it was the house that I grew up in, and it was in the piano room, and I was fighting this demon with a sword, and I was awesome. I wish I could do that in real life. <laughs> but I don't have ninja skills. Um, but in the, in the dream I did, and I cut off the head of this demon. And you know how dreams just jump from one thing to another? Then all of a sudden, I was washing babies in the sink. Just washing babies, one after another. It was like the weirdest thing, but it was so vivid, and I can still remember it. And I woke up, and I thought, Lord, I don't know what that was, but if that's something, like, tell me. And I remember... The Lord telling me, oh yeah, because you have come into the faith, you have broken the demonic strongholds that have been on your family from generation to generation, and now for generations to come, they're going to be washed and redeemed. God, see, when we get saved, when you get saved, it's not just about you. It's for you to be a light, for you to break generational curses. You know that there are things in your life that stop right here, that no longer will be passed on, that that God's saying, "Not, not any longer, not one more person. I imagine this, this wheel or these gears continually spinning, working. It's like the demonic forces just working together, trying to mess people up. And the Lord literally, I felt like, took me and just like stabbed me right into one of the gears so that it would just stop. And he said, no more, no more. And that's you too. This is the responsibility that we have. That when we know the Lord Jesus and we are ambassadors for Christ, that is the honor and the privilege of ministry that we get to be a part of. That we impact our family, our households, and the generations to come. I think about Scott and his family. Scott's like fifth year Christian generation. And let me just tell you, when in Joshua, when it talks about, do not depart from my word, meditate on it day and night, 
for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I look at Scott's life and I look at the Helmbold family and I think that's it. They are walking in that. That's for you. That's for you and your future generations. Isn't God good? Aren't you so thankful? Aren't you so thankful that God didn't come back before we were saved? I'm so thankful that God hasn't come back yet because my family still has a chance. And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk a little bit more about what we can do, how we can pray, how to raise our children. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited. God wants to save families. He wants to use us as families. It's not just possible that your family be saved. God wants your family to be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have a heart for families, that that's how you created us from the beginning. God, I pray for those that are in solitude right now, those that that feel like they don't belong, they don't have a place. Lord, I pray right now, help them. Help them look around them. Open their eyes to see who is part of their family. And Lord, I pray for those that have room in our homes. God, that you would open our eyes to see who can we invite into our family. God, I thank you that that you created us to dwell together. Lord, that one person being impacted means so many more people being impacted. Lord, I thank you that as a ripple effect, may our lives, may my life count and be a ripple effect that, that affects everyone around me. May we be the salt and light, the light that is on the lampstand that, that brings light to our entire household so that men can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Lord, I pray for those family members right now, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, sons and daughters who don't know the Lord, who have fallen away. Lord, I I thank you that you give us the wisdom and the right word and the right opportunity to reach them. Lord, I thank you that so many of them are just one conversation away from the kingdom of heaven. Help us have those conversations, Lord. Help us reach more people, Lord. Lord, we thank you. We give our lives over to you, Lord. We count it a privilege and an honor. May we have the heart of Paul and the heart of Silas to be in your ministry, to pray and to sing and always glorify you with our life. God, you are so good to us. You are a good father. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.